Today's episode is brought to you by Audible, your audio book source for anywhere, anytime listening, with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And today, you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports. So don't wait. That's audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews, hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is Rich Take on Sports. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. And welcome, everyone, to the next episode in this journey. And this is episode number 19. And before we get going in this episode with our guest in the Rich Spotlight, which happens to be Mr. David Pollock, former All-American defensive great at the University of Georgia, and now one of those familiar faces that you see on ESPN's College Game Day crew each and every Saturday morning during college football season, I just wanted to make sure that for any of the first-time listeners that are out there, they know where to find the previous episodes. And the easiest place to start is just with our website, richtakeonsports.com. And you can find all of our episodes there. And it's crazy to think that we're already up to 19, but they are there. And you can also easily subscribe through whatever platform you prefer. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And I know many of you already know the drill about subscribing. But again, it is an easy way to just know that you're going to be receiving the latest episodes once they're released. So you can subscribe right from our website. It's very simple. And even if you don't subscribe, you can easily be notified through Twitter by following us at Rich Take Sports. And with every episode, I will be promoting them so you can always be on the lookout for any type of post on Twitter, Instagram, and even Facebook. But anyway, no more wasting time. Let's get to our guest, David Pollock in the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. If you don't know our guest here in episode 19, then you're not a true college football fan. This episode, we have the pleasure of having David Pollock. Currently, you can find David every Saturday morning during college football season on ESPN's College Game Day as an analyst. And he's also a contributor to ESPN's daily college football news show, College Football Live. Now, before starting his career in broadcasting on radio at 790 The Zone in Atlanta, David was a three-time All-American defensive end at the University of Georgia, becoming just the second Bulldog in school history to earn that distinction, with Herschel Walker being the first. He finished his career at Georgia in 2004 after being named the SEC Defensive Player of the Year and was later drafted 17th overall by the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2005 NFL Draft. Now, his NFL career was cut short, however, after he broke a cervical vertebra in the second game of the season in 2006 and announced his retirement before the 2008 season. 
He's never been one to shy away from his opinions and recently made headlines with his post on Twitter about his feelings with regards to sports and parenting. So one of the first things that I ask him is why did he feel the need that particular day to post his thoughts? I don't know. I'll say this. I'm around a lot of parents, obviously, with my son and my daughter being eight and seven. And I see a lot of um, sports dads. And listen, I consider myself a sports dad, but I see a lot of them with you know, the vision or the goal to, to push their kids. And I see a lot of areas in the area that I live in. I see a lot of private lessons with 10-year-olds and 8-year-olds. And I see a lot of, you know, wanting them to just, then parents wanting their kids to, you know, play all the time and do all these things all the time and grind. And I just think that we lose perspective. And, you know, I've seen families that come to church all the time. And then all of a sudden, all-stars start popping up and uh, travel ball starts popping up in baseball. And then you don't see them anymore. And, you know, just I, I think we got our priorities out of whack. And it was something that God put on my heart and I could feel it was tugging at my heartstrings and something that I ended up writing. I had no clue that it was going to be that well received or, or even just, you know, people who were going to talk about it. And the, the USA Today ended up picking it up and, and tweeting it out and making an article out of it. I, I didn't know it would go that far, but I think it's because it's a spot in life that there's a lot of perspective that needs to be gained. And, if, and listen, I think God gave me my son for a reason. And I have no doubt about that. And he's not, he, he's always been very tentative and passive. And he's not a, you know, you drop him in any atmosphere, he's going to fly around. And he's really taught me patience and perspective. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I don't want to be that dad pushing him all the time and, and taking the love out of it. I coach, you know, two youth league football teams and I coach basketball and dude, it's fun ain't a priority in sports. Like, I want everyone to play and love sports and get out of it what we're supposed to, not look down the road of what my son's going to be or what my daughter's going to be. I, you can't prepare a kid for when they're 14 on sports. All you can do is let them have fun now. Can you help them? Can you grow them? Can you uh, help them in the areas that they need to get better? Absolutely. But you don't have to do it in a drill sergeant way. You don't have to rip the fun out of it, which – I've seen, I see firsthand by a lot of people that that's being done. And I just, you're not missing out on your chance to, to play in the MLB. If you don't do travel ball, that's a myth. If you're good enough, you're good enough in the end. That's all that's going to matter. Guess who makes the decision of who your if your kids are going to be great or not. They do. You don't, you can push them all you want to. You can beat your head up against the wall and you can do this, do this, do that, do this, do that. In the end, they're going to have to make the cognizant decision later on down the road when they get a little bit older. Is this something that I want to work really, really hard for? And if I do, that's all on them. It has nothing to do with daddy. It has nothing to do with mommy. It has nothing to do with private lessons. It has everything to do with the kid. And if they want, if that's something that they want to pursue and they want to work really hard for. What's your thoughts on one sport versus playing as many sports as you can expose them to? I think you can guess this probably already, but I, I think it's absolutely dumb. I think playing one sport, you do one motion over and over and over again. Obviously, you're more inclined. You just throw on a baseball year round. You're gonna have base. You have arm issues. You know, you you, you learn. Your body learns to play one sport. Your mind's playing one sport. You don't get a reprieve. You don't get a break. It's it, it's work. I mean, that's that's what it becomes for for the kids. I mean, I'm a big fan of playing every single sport you can, having fun and enjoying it because. Like, my son is ate up with basketball, loves it. I mean, like, you wouldn't believe. We'll play 
five, six, seven hours by himself, you know, making up games and he loves it. Now, I like the, the baseball season comes around because now he grabs his glove and he wants to play baseball and he gets a break from basketball. You know, he's not doing it 24-7. And then football comes around and he gets, he gets a break from baseball. And you're, you're learning how to use your body different ways. You don't cut, you know, you don't make very many quick cuts in baseball. You know, you round bases and you don't move a lot. You don't get a lot of exercise. It's kind of a good season, I think, for their bodies to kind of rest up a little bit too and not have all the pounding of basketball or of football because there's a lot more of that. So I'm a big advocate of playing them all. You know, you don't know how your body's going to develop. You don't know what they're going to turn into. You don't know what they're going to love and be passionate about later on in life. So if they want to play them all, let them enjoy them, let them have fun with it, and let them compete with with their friends. So now, what was it about sports that made you fall in love with sports as a kid? Man, I love to compete. I'm a, I'm a natural, and this is when I wrote my article, it's just that's my son's actually, the opposite of me is I am, if you put a ball out there and you tell me there's a winner and a loser, let's go. I mean, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't have to even be a ball. If you put a board game out there, you know, I, my wife has run into the room crying several times from us playing categories, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I've, I've always been just hyper, hyper competitive. And, you know, we play a game called spike ball now that I love. It's awesome. And, I mean, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm, I'm a very, very competitive person. If I'm doing broadcasting, I want to be better than everybody. And that's my nature. That's my desire. That's my drive inside of me. And it's obnoxious. I mean, it, it's thank you, Jesus. It's gotten better the older I've gotten. And I've learned how to tame it. And I've learned to understand that you don't control the outcome. And you only control how hard you can work and, and how much effort you can put into it. And that's that's it. But I definitely um, have just always had a desire in me to always want to win everything I do. And I've had to learn over the years to taper it down and pick and choose, you know, what you really get cranked and amped up for. Now, how difficult was that early in your career, you know, as a kid, high school, even in college, to control that competitiveness? It wasn't. I didn't. I didn't control it. I just, I let it rip. I mean, my, my, my buddy, Russ Kenner, who I roomed with at Georgia, he tells the story all the time. He's like, Tomic, you would look at me during stretches. And if you were out of stretching further than you, you would stretch further than me just to beat me. He was, I mean, it, it, no, I, it didn't, uh, there was no tapering it down. I mean, I was just, I was going to fly around and I was going to make sure that I won and, and do everything I could to, to win. So I, I, you know, did I, I think you learn, I've learned as I've gotten older that, um, it's not as big as it's not as big of a deal to lose. And, and even sometimes if you play with, you know, husbands versus wives in board games, which we do a lot, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not worth sitting there arguing about. And, you know, that's, that's the greatest thing to me about getting older is perspective in life. I would not trade. I don't want to go back and be 20 because I don't look at the world right now. Like I did when I was 20 and the, the maturation process that God takes us through and the experiences that he takes us through, man, I, I'm just, I'm so, so thankful for them. And, you know, I definitely have learned the last, really the last 10 years more so than anything is just how to handle situations, how to talk, how to respect things more and respect people more and not, not be disrespectful in those moments, which in the past I would have a tendency to do. Yeah. So how did you view the world when you were 20 years old? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought the world, you know, instead of the sun, revolving around, you know, plants or plants revolving in the sun. I thought it revolved around Davey. I mean, I thought it revolved around me, you know, you know, I was a college kid that played football and, you know, I 
that didn't think a whole lot about anything and just kind of lived my life. And, you know, I thought this, this, this is what I was, this is what I earned. I earned football and I worked harder than everybody and I deserved to go to the NFL. And, you know, it's just kind of the way it was, but I, I just, I was a normal teenage kid that I think that loses perspective at times on, on what God's given you. And I'm, I'm a firm, I'm firmly believe that's why God took football away from me. And I'm a firm believer that I needed that. I, I, it's the best thing to ever happen to me. Breaking my neck was the biggest blessing in my life because it gave me perspective at 24 that I would have never had it uh, until I would have gotten a little bit older because, you know, you got humble. You, you hear some humble pie and you thought you knew what you were doing and then, you know, sit there and be still and I got some things to teach you. And so what else have you felt that you've learned from that humbling experience of having almost your identity taken away as a football player very quickly like that? Well, I think you learn – if I had an extra 15 minutes, dog, I was going to run a mile or run two miles or lift some weights or just do something. And the Bible talks about be still and know that I am God. It's not something that I have, have ever experienced. And so I never slowed down enough to appreciate things. And so it kind of forced me to slow down. It forced me to – it showed you who was in your life for the right reasons. You know, it, um, it – so it, it, I've learned so many things from – from it. I learned about adversity. You got a, you got a choice. I mean, you can grow up in the fetal position and say, man, this stinks. I can't believe it happened to me. Or you can deal with it and say, okay, God's got something for me to learn from this. What is it? You know, what can I take away from it? And I said from the beginning, I said, listen, if God took football away, I can't imagine what he's got next for me. You know, this was, this was pretty awesome. This is pretty extraordinary. And, and now I look up and I see, you know, where he's taking me and where I'm at now. And it's just, it's, it's very encouraging. It's, 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 it's really cool. Now, how difficult was that decision to wake up and say, I'm no longer going to be a football player. I'm, I'm deciding to retire. How difficult was that? It wasn't. It wasn't at all because, you know, when a doctor looks at you and says, you know, you're more likely to get injured than anybody else, now you have a, you know, shortened vertebrae and, and this, this, there's a chance this could happen again because of that. It's like, hey, dog, I can walk. I'm good, bro. I mean, I'm out, you know, and it was, it wasn't tough. It was, uh, it was an easy decision. Uh, me and my wife had talked about if I was, you know, more, uh, more, if I was more susceptible than somebody else to getting hurt again, especially in the neck region, it wasn't something that I was going to pursue. So it was, God made it very clearly defined for me. Now, going back to growing up, so what all sports did you play? You talk about playing multiple sports. So walk us through all the sports that you played. I played baseball, basketball, and football growing up in Little League. And then once I got to eighth grade, I got cut from the basketball team in high school. And then once I got to high school, I, I quit baseball when I was, I think, sixth or seventh grade. And then uh, eighth grade, I got cut from basketball. So that wasn't an option. And then I went to my, uh, so I went to high school and just played football my first year. And then I played football and then I went out for the wrestling team and I wrestled for a year. And then, I played, obviously I played football every year. And then the next year I went out for the basketball team, made the basketball team and played basketball for a couple of years. So I kind of, um, picked back up on basketball later on, but I played everything growing up through, you know, sixth, seventh grade and all the different seasons of all the different sports. And then I kind of threw in wrestling for, for fun when I got older. Now, was there a point in your early childhood that you had the vision or dream? I want to be an NFL player. Oh yeah, when I was seven, when I was six years old, I told my dad I was going to play in the NFL. And but I, I I saw my brother. When I started playing football on the sidelines when I was four, when my brother was six, and started running around tackling people. And then 
you know, once I got to be six, we were, we, my dad was, we're from, we're from up north. So my dad, he was a Giants fan. So I always cheered for the Giants and I told him I was going to play for the Giants and play in the NFL when I was six years old. So I, I definitely had a clear cut vision and obviously had plenty of people tell me it wasn't possible along the way, but it was definitely something that at a young age, I was, I was like, I'm going to play football in the national football league. Now, did that give you more motivation by hearing people say that you couldn't do it, or were you just motivated because you wanted to do it? Me and Kelly Pollock, um, that's my mama. Me and Kelly Pollock are, are two individuals who are, I'm wired it just like my mama, and she wants to compete in everything. And so I'm, I didn't necessarily think about that. I don't think cognitively when I look back, do I think that when people tell you that you can't do something, yeah, it affects you because I just told you a little while ago how competitive I am. So I definitely think um, it, it's something that, uh, that that motivated me. Maybe not in the way that I thought. I didn't think about it at the time, but, you know, some people tell you you can't do things and you definitely have that chip on your shoulder and say, I can prove you wrong. How was the recruiting process for you and ultimately deciding to go to the University of Georgia? How did that happen? Well, I visited a bunch of different schools and took my visit to, you know, Ohio State, which loved Ohio State, but I got there and snow was on the ground. And I was like, deuces, peace. You know, it's just it's a little cold for me. And then got drafted by the Bengals later on where it's snowing. So um, kind of full circle. But uh, visited Georgia, visited Clemson, visited Georgia Tech as my official visits. And so yeah, I didn't grow up a Georgia fan. I didn't grow up even watching college football. I told you I grew up watching the NFL and cheering for the Giants. But I uh, just got recruited by a bunch of schools, and Georgia was the one that uh, was closest to home and signed with them, and Coach came in with Coach Rick at the same time, so it kind of worked out perfectly. So speaking of watching the NFL, who did you want to be like when you were growing up? What NFL players did you look up to? Well, I think it depended on on your season, but I, I never had guys that I was like, you know, die hard, I'm going to be like him. Um, but I loved everything to do with the Giants and Carl Banks and Marshall and LTE and um, McConkie and Bavaro and Sims and Hofstetler and all those guys. I mean, those are all guys that, you know, I watched playing football every Sunday. But I, I didn't emulate anybody or say I'm going to be, you know, this guy or anything like that. It, you know, I just, I, I love football and I love playing and I love tackling folks and hitting folks. And that was, that was something that God put in my DNA for sure. With football, did you love football, again, because you could hit people? Was that was the, the main thing that you loved about football, or what else really drew you to football? Anything, anything competing-wise, I always loved. But I think it was, you know, something that, you know, just you get, you get to tackle people. You get to hit people. You get to, uh, you know, find ways to compete. You get to run the ball and, you know, run people over and try to score. And, you know, they keep scoring. And you know whether you're doing good, you know whether you're doing bad. And, again, like my personality, I kind of – the way I looked at things anyway. So it was just a, it was a sport that I grew up, I mean, literally when I was four years old, I started, I started loving it and it, that never left and it still hasn't left to this day. Now at Georgia, probably your most memorable moment is the interception and touchdown at South Carolina. But what are some of the other memorable games that you had as a Bulldog? Well, I, I remember, um, I remember playing in Death Valley our sophomore year when we had all, everything on the line and us missing a bunch of field goals. I remember the hobnail boot game in 2001, which was obviously a big, um, big program, a big program winning win for us. I remember the SEC championship game my sophomore year against Arkansas, was, you know, 30 to three. Yeah, I remember going to the Sugar Bowl, Sugar Bowl against Florida State. 
they were playing Wisconsin in, in the uh, Outback Bowl my senior year, my last season, my last game. They were opening with Clemson as a junior and a senior, or as a, a sophomore and a junior. I mean, those, those are moments that off the top of my head. I remember the 4th and 12 against Auburn when Michael Johnson caught the ball in the end zone. That was pretty disgustingly sick. That was awesome. Uh, I remember beating Florida as a senior finally because we'd lost him the three years before. That was that was nice. Those were some highlights. What was more special for you, the first time you took the field as a Georgia Bulldog or the first time you took the field as a Cincinnati Bengal? That's an impossible question to answer, man. I don't. I mean, they were both equally rewarding and equally fun. You know, one came – they came in dramatically different fashions and circumstances. You know, I'll say that because – I, I came to Georgia as a fullback, you know, three-star kid and, you know, an afterthought really more than anything with, with a lot to prove. And then, you know, to Cincinnati, you come in as a first-round draft pick, 17th pick in the NFL or in the draft, and um, a lot more expectations and a lot more, you know, uh, a lot of different circumstances, I would say. You made the decision to retire from football, moving on, and now God is going to be opening some other doors for you. But how did that come about with that door being opened with broadcasting? Well, I was watching when I was in my place in my halo. I mean, it took it was a good you know year and a half of that, and I was watching Mike and Mike in the morning. Chris, remember, I didn't, I couldn't leave the house really. I had to stay at the house, and my wife was in school then, so I was kind of stuck there all the time. And I played a lot of video games, watched a lot of TV. And Mike and the Mike in the morning were always entertaining, and I was watching them, and I'd yell at the screen. And then, you know, it was also the 2006 when Georgia had two losses, and there were still people saying they had to win their conference to be in the, you know, to be in the hunt. And I was yelling at Herbie on the TV screen, and and I was like, and I told my agent, I said, I think I could do that. You know, I didn't have a degree, I didn't have a, I had no clue what was next in my life, and so I called my agent. I was like, I think I want to do some some radio or TV stuff, and then they called several places around and, and finally got and got me a gig and to a sit in spot for an hour with seven ninety to zone in Atlanta. And I flew in from Ohio and sat down and did the sit in for an hour and then came back and they called me and said, You got an afternoon drive show? So we moved down from Cincinnati and I took the job and did afternoon drive and then started local Fox with uh with some T V stuff and then ESPNU and then, you know, I started with game day a couple years after that. Was it an ultimate goal once you got into it to get on ESPN game day? Uh, yeah, I, I remember sitting down with my agent. They're like, what's your goal? I was like, I'd like to be on you know, college game day. And like, they said, um, I remember, never forget, he goes, well, that's kind of the best show on TV, you know, on, on, on ESPN. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And he, he's like, okay, uh, we can try. We can, work, we can work towards that. And literally, uh, you know, three, three years later, three years into my ESPN career, I was able to, to get on game day when they opened it up the ESPNU nine o'clock hour and extended it an hour. I was able to jump on and be a, be a small contributor to the show. Yeah. Now you've obviously made a name for yourself on the show. And so what is the season like for you on college game day? Oh, it's awesome, man. I mean, we get to, we get to travel around, see a bunch of different cities, see a bunch of different fan bases, a bunch of different communities. We get to, we get to watch a bunch of great football. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, you know, football is something that, like I said, like I've told y'all, it's been, like I've already told you in the podcast several times, it's been a part of my life since I was four years old. And I don't know that it will ever go, never be, a, it will never not be a part of my life. And so this is an awesome outlet for me to plug in and compete and watch tape and try to pick a winner and see who's good, see who's not good, and just kind of do all those different things. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun, and it's just it's a necessity in my life to definitely have football in it.
How do you prepare each season for all of the different games and the cities you're going to go to? You just got to watch games and grind. You know, you got to watch tape and figure out, you know, who you think is great, who you think isn't great. You know, um, you can you can read the preseason magazines and all that stuff, but I think, you know, the best opinions are ones that you've seen with your own eyes and formulated an opinion with your own eyes. And so I like to go through a lot of games and watch a lot of teams and see what they do well and see what they don't do well and, you know, have some good formulated opinions coming into the season of what I think is going to happen and then, you know, see how wrong you are. Yeah, obviously a lot of people want to see if you're right or wrong. Now, you do other things outside of football and uh, the broadcasting, and one of them is the Pollock Family Foundation. So what inspired you and your wife, Lindsay, to start the Pollock Family Foundation to raise awareness against childhood obesity? Well, you know, it's it's something that we've been on our journey with for, for about 10 years, and it's just, it was a slow, steady process of, educating ourselves. And I was 292 at my heaviest at Georgia. And, you know, you just didn't know any different about what you're eating and what you're putting in your body. And as a high school kid, I was really chubby. I swung, swung with my shirt on. And I've just always, ha- I've always hated the way I look when I took my shirt off. And it's always been something I just, I had in my head. And I finally learned, you know, what you eat is important. And it's more important than what you exercise, how much you exercise. And, you know, we got a lot of friends and family the same way that we started you know, teaching them some of the habits we were doing, and you started to see it make a difference. And then you saw they were happier, and they were they had more energy. They were better moms, they were better dads, they were better employees. And so we thought, you know, let's let's try to make this as big as we can, and teach and educate people on eating, and give them tips to to help them grow in their in their fitness journey and accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. We started about a year and a half ago with our foundation, and we've partnered up with uh, Strong for Life, with it, which is one of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta's main programs, and we've done camps for for kids with, you know, BMIs of 85 percentile or higher, and you know, you get them moving, get them active, love on them, get some nutrition uh, classes in them, and you know, help them make a difference in their body. But that's, you know, that's the short story of it, and it's something that we practice every single day. It's something that we believe in, that we teach our kids, and that we teach all the kids and families that we hang out with. Well, it definitely sounds like you are uh, living that talk or walking that walk, I should say. Now, as we're starting to wrap up here, David, can you sum up what sports has meant in your life? Wow. Um, Sports has been the greatest teacher in my life. And I've dealt with every single emotion you can deal with. I've dealt with every circumstance you can deal with. And it's just put me in a position where no matter whatever comes my way, you know, I know that I've had adversity. I know that I've lost. I know that I've won. I know that I've played good. I know that I've played bad. And it's taught me discipline because I know sometimes you don't want to show up, man. You think – people think all the time that we just – it doesn't matter if the game's in front of 3 million people on TV, on ESPN at, at one thirty in the afternoon, and you're playing in front of 92,000 people. Sometimes you just ain't got your fastball. And you know what you got to do? You got to suck it up, and you got to give it all you got. And – I think sport, that's why sports is amazing. That's why you think sports drive me nuts with dads and daddy ball and trying to run kids off. I want every kid possible to play sports and learn discipline and learn mental toughness and learn how to deal with, you know, adversity. And so it's just a, it's, it's an awesome teacher in life. And for me, it started at a young age to being able to play when I was years old and started to learn those lessons and learn how to compete and, 
it's a huge part of my life to this day. I mean, I'm always competing in basketball. We play in, I play in 30 basketball leagues a year, for goodness sakes. And it's a huge part of my life. Um, we play spike ball all the time. We play football, two-hand-touch football. And just, you know, it's something that's, that I, it helps me enjoy life even more. And it's taught me how to deal with every circumstance in life that I've ever faced. Thank you for sharing that. And speaking of other things to share, what about any words of wisdom, any mottos, quotes, or just words that you would like to share uh, as far as advice to our listeners? Well, I'm, in everything in life, you, you don't control the outcome. You know, you don't control the end game. God's always got that in control. So every day you have an opportunity to attack every day and you have a choice every day to win the day, to absolutely to write down goals, to attack that day one at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about seven days from now. Don't worry about that crap. Control what you can control and live in the today. Be in the today. Win the today. And I think it's something that, you know, it doesn't have to be macro. It doesn't have to be huge. It just has to be every single day maybe writing down three goals and dominating those goals and having the best day possible. Some days are going to be worse than others. Absolutely. But you can make today the best day can possibly be by your attitude and by controlling that attitude and controlling your effort and what you give out in any realm, whether it be work, whether it be sports, whether it be um, whatever you do every single day. Excellent words of wisdom. Thank you, David. And to finish up, we have to ask prediction for your four teams that'll make it in the college football playoff for 2017. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do this soon for real. So I'm actually gonna have to be a little bit more dialed in than I am now. But um, I think you can count Bama in. Um, you know, that's kind of what we've grown to expect. Now, listen, their error from margin might be less by playing Florida State Week One, but um, but I think they're gonna have. I think they're gonna be there in the end. I think you can throw Florida State in there. I think I'll throw USC in there and I'll throw Ohio State in there. That would be the the four. So that means that there's a chance you could get a rematch between Alabama and Florida State to start the season and to end the season. Which that would be crazy, but that mirrors exactly what Tony Barnhart told me as well. So you guys are on the same page. Now, what about a prediction for national champion? Uh, I haven't come up with it yet. So I'll tell you this. It's either Ohio State, Alabama, um, Florida State, or USC. I like that answer. There you go. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it in sharing your story, the impact of sports in your life, and uh, definitely look forward to uh, seeing you again this upcoming season on uh, ESPN College Game Day. Thank you, brother. Have a good one, man. After hearing David's story, do you have any questions about his competitiveness? I don't think so. I mean, he is making his wife cry during a categories game. That's pretty competitive. So we know he is a competitive guy. But as you learned, it's something that he's learning to control. And it's also something that he understands is something that has helped him get to where he is today. And it's his competitiveness that helps drive him to be the best husband, father, broadcaster that he can be. And I also think that he's truly on to something with focusing on what goes into our bodies and especially starting that with the kids. So if you haven't, please check out the Pollock Family Foundation at PollockFamilyFoundation.com. Now, he wasn't ready to go out on a limb just yet. Uh, there's still a few more weeks before college football, you know, with his college football picks. So for now, it's just the usual suspects. But the one thing that we do know about college football 
it doesn't go as scripted. So stay tuned. There will be some craziness. And now let's wrap up episode number 19 with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. This week, our words of wisdom come from San Antonio Spurs great Tim Duncan, who is bound to be an NBA Hall of Famer and without a doubt will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And in this quote, he talks about striving to be the best and never stopping until you get there, that there is always room for improvement. And that's something that you heard from David Pollack as well, that he talks about he's wanting to continue to strive to be, again, the best broadcaster that he can. Whatever it is, he's wanting to strive to be the best. And it holds true in this quote as well. And so Tim Duncan says, Good, better, best. Never let it rest. Until your good is better, and your better is best. And so you can see that it's, again, focusing on just continuing to improve each and every day, no matter what that means, putting in the hard work to be able to do that. Well, I'm excited that we had David Pollack on the podcast. It was great hearing his message, his story, and I'm looking forward to college football coming up and watching him on college game day. That's definitely one of the things I look forward to each and every Saturday morning. Just the opinions, just the storylines that they have. It's actually a really, really good show, and I was very excited to have David here on the podcast as well. Now, I look forward to continuing with more content, more guest interviews, and remember, Focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 